0: We're taking a brief break this morning from our new series in Exodus because we've invited our friend and co-laborer in the gospel, Corey McKenna, to come and minister God's word to us. Uh, Corey is a good friend of ours. Uh, We are partnering with him in the work of evangelism, and his ministry is a ministry that seeks to come alongside churches and encourage and equip churches in their own ministry of evangelism. And sometimes when we think of the work of evangelism, we might picture this elite team of almost like Navy SEAL Christians that go out, and they're specially trained and equipped to share the gospel, when the truth is we're all called to bear witness to Christ. We're all called to the ministry of evangelism. Uh, Corey, I don't know if you're going to mention this, but one of your illustrations that has always stuck with me is just as in the military, whether you are a data analyst at a desk or the cook in the kitchen, everybody in the military is trained to shoot a gun. And the same way in the life of the church, everyone in the life of the church is called to share the gospel and should be trained to do so. And that's Corey's passion and ministry. And so we've invited him here this morning to encourage us and exhort us in the ministry of evangelism. So let's welcome our friend and our brother, Corey. Thank you, brother.
1: Well, good morning. It is a joy uh, to be with Westminster Chapel this morning. If you will please turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you are being called to war. That was the memo that a military friend of mine received shortly after 9-11. Now, he'd literally spent his entire working life in military service, And now he was being called by his leaders to actually go to battle. But sadly, he he was unwilling to go. He even began pushing back so he could stay home. Now, a little side note. Personally, I have a great deal of uh, of respect for those who serve in the military. My own father served Air Force. My uh, wife's uh, grandfather served Army in World War II. So I'm no stranger to the hardship and to the sacrifice that military service can have on family. But when that particular friend asked for my personal opinion on his situation, I had to say, brother, I can appreciate the fact that you don't want to go to war. Like, who does? But frankly, we've been paying you to practice war for your entire working life, and now you get the call to go to the real field, but you won't go. Isn't that neglect of duty? Let's just say that that was the beginning of the end for our friendship. (laughs) Because that brother resolved to push back to the point of really totally discrediting his leaders. And he not only somehow wiggled his way out of going to war, but he also caused in the process irreversible disunity and division within his own troops. Well, Christian, you are being called to war. And I can appreciate, I can even relate to the fact that we don't always want to go to war. But frankly, Christ has paid for us to go. And we too have been practicing for war for our entire Christian life. So the question is, will you go or will you stay? Now, I know that we have got some passionate recruits here at Westminster Chapel. Practicing for war does not equal participating in war. More pointedly, just coming to church does not equal going to battle. Just coming to an open church does not equal going to battle. In fact, this is from my pastor's heart. I was a pastor for 17 years. Here we go. Just coming without going will eventually lead to disunity and division here as well, guaranteed. So enter the uh, the Corinthians, a church that had seriously drifted from the mission into disunity and, uh, and division, and wow, does this letter apply. Excuse me, I'm get my mic straight here. Does this letter apply to this season of church life in Canada? So there's lots to learn from 1 Corinthians. But generally speaking, Paul teaches in sort of two broad categories. First, he teaches about conflicts happening inside the church. And second, he teaches about compromises Christians are making with non-Christian culture outside the church. Might be... Turning our church inside out for God's glory. Now, I do need to offer a little bit. This is sort of for my conscience. A little bit of a disclaimer here this morning, because I know that typically the preaching here at Westminster is true expository, in that uh, teachers will drill down deep into a specific text, um, um, and and sort of work that out. But today's teaching is kind of it's kind of half sermon and half. Seminar. So I've actually called it a seminar. Hopefully that's okay with everybody. A seminar, and and please know that I am teaching this seminar at Westminster for the same reason that the Apostle Paul writes his letter for the Corinthians. Here it is: to inspire and really instruct your church to reflect personally and and to refocus corporately on Christ and his mission. For us, so let's pray, and we'll read 1 Corinthians chapter one. Well, Father God, we come to you in the name of your Son and in the power of your Spirit to give you glory, honor, and our full attention as we open your Word. I humbly ask hearts to understand and joyfully obey the gospel of your Son as a church on mission together, and it's in His name that I pray. Amen. So there is a little insert if uh, if that's helpful. Uh, Here's our big idea to sort of keep in mind as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. A church on mission unifies in the gospel and the gifts for the glory of God. A church on mission unifies in the gospel and the gifts for the glory of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, entire chapter, here we go. and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. That's the word of the Lord this morning. So unpacking that big idea. First, a church on mission unifies in the gospel. It's no coincidence that Paul starts this letter emphasizing the gospel. He ends this letter emphasizing the gospel because the gospel is sort of like, kind of like the glue that holds God's people together and really unifies us as the church. So let's briefly learn from Paul the doctrine and practice of the gospel as he teaches in this letter. First, gospel doctrine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 4, I'm going to be flipping around a little bit in Corinthians, you can go there. doctrine of the biblical gospel is right here the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus but more comprehensively the gospel is also the the totality of what Christ has accomplished and in the everlasting effects produced this is why Paul further teaches that the only saving gospel, yes, initially justifies. I'm an evangelist. That's where I camp a lot of the time. But continually sanctifies. And eventually glorifies. So that's a bit from Paul on the doctrine of the gospel. Here's the practice. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Paul says this. power. Why, Paul? Why? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, you've likely read this before, maybe a bunch. But let's just stop and and, and think about this in the context of gospel practice. Could Paul, I mean of all people, Paul, could Paul have proclaimed the gospel with lofty speech and with wisdom? I mean... Yes, this is Paul. This is the Hebrew of Hebrews, right? This is Paul the Apostle. This is the professor of theology, Paul. He could have done that. I mean, in Philippians chapter 3, you'll remember that he proclaims himself as, quote, the man with more reason than anyone for confidence in the flesh. Yet here he chooses, hear this, he chooses to set, I'm going to get this right here a second. He chooses to set an example for average, everyday Christ followers like us to follow. Why does he do that? He says why. So that our faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, in our evangelism training, that's a big part of our ministry. I direct a ministry called The Cross Current And uh, in our evangelism training, our goal of gospel witness, hear this, is not to impress, but to inspire. It's not to impress, but to inspire. And how? Well, according to Paul, through imitation and through demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Practically, what we do is we equip the saints by example to simply open Scripture In biblical conversation about Christ. That's gospel witness. That's gospel witness. But example is everything in discipleship. You know, Paul actually penned my life verse. I don't know if you have one of those, a life verse. And it's right here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. New International has that one. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I want to share a very personal illustration uh, about the impact of imitation, specifically in gospel witness. Okay, go with me on this. You'll remember this illustration. My uh, my favorite animal has always been a white Bengal tiger. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but they had one at the Toronto Zoo for a bit. I remember. And I like this animal so much that when I was a younger guy, I researched, what would it take if I could own a pet tiger? I mean, what could go wrong in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where I grew up owning a pet tiger, right? But but the way this basically worked, I did a bunch of research, pre-internet, I'm an older guy, pre-internet, and um, the way it shakes down is the cub, the tiger cub, is removed from its mother right away, It's raised around your household, and over time, it becomes totally domesticated. But, (laughs) the warning on the label, there's always a warning on the label. But, if that tiger so much as sees another tiger, its true identity is unleashed, and you're in major trouble. Major trouble. No trips to the Toronto Zoo with your pet tiger, right? Not going to work. However, hear this, that ferocious effect only happens when it sees that example. Fast fast forward to my own life and witness. I was a young church leader many, many years ago. A cub for Christ, you might say. You see where I'm going with this. And uh, I'd served for about five plus years. I was a pastor of discipleship and and I was super thankful for the opportunity. But here's, here's the thing. I became dangerously domesticated over time as a cub for Christ. That was until September of 2006 when God opened my eyes through the example of an equipping evangelist on the streets of Los Angeles named Tony. Tony the Tiger. Perfect, eh? I mean, Tony. But hear this. When I saw, when I heard Tony When I heard him pray for people from the heart and pray for God's power, and and I heard him preach, even in the open air, if you can imagine that, and I heard him teach the Christian worldview, Bible open, reach out with the compassion of Christ, you and I realized, that's me. I'd never seen it. I'd never seen that example before. In other words, since I'd been born again, I had no idea how dangerously domesticated, you might say comfortable, you might say settled, you might say country club Christian, whatever you want to call it, I had no idea. I was just like everyone else. Until the Lord used Tony's example to open my eyes, to open my ears to my true identity as an evangelism tiger for Christ. And so our ministry is all about training up tigers. Now you might be thinking, well, that's great for you, Corey. You're an evangelist, right? But, but what about me? What about us as a church? Would you guys know what a whole streak? Oh, I just gave it up. Sorry about that. Do you guys know what? I was going to ask you if you know what a whole family of tigers is called. Pretty rare to see. But a family of tigers is called a streak of tigers. Isn't that neat? A streak of tigers. Can you imagine if we saw the Lord raise up right here at Westminster Chapel? Tigers training tigers training tigers for gospel witness in every area of Christian life. Brothers, David and Joe and myself are kindred on this one. We're talking about every area is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Every area. Think about this. How about marriage tigers? You're just thinking about it. You're an evangelist, right? What about marriage tigers? What about family tigers? What about work tigers? What about mission tigers? What about legal tigers and political tigers and business tigers? Tigers And on and on and on it would go. How would that example impact your church, first and foremost, but your community, your culture, your country, your world? That's what I call the impact of imitation on a local church. And this is why, as church leaders, we, we must be committed to equipping the church by example, Ephesians 4, example, to know and share the gospel. Recently, my, uh, my pastor, I'm in London, just outside line, and I go to a great church there, and my pastor challenged our church to find someone younger in the faith, younger in the faith to disciple, and someone older in the faith to be discipled by. <laughs> to, to, to a lot of people in the West, they go, oh, see, that's slower? Wow, I mean, that, that's kind of what the Bible teaches, right? But that's what he asks us to do. And I call that, be a tiger and see a tiger. Be a tiger for someone else, because you're further along than someone, and see a tiger in someone else. Find a James Glover to train you, to equip you, someone who's further in their walk than you are. And as it applies to the military and good Christian soldiers on mission together, like David said, do you know that? No matter what service, role, and responsibilities someone has in the military, they are routinely equipped by example, very interesting, to handle their rifle. Some military insiders call this principle soldier first. Soldier first. So I just want to suggest, like a church on mission, no matter what service role, see all kinds of hands on deck. It's a beautiful thing to see the body of Christ working. But I want to suggest that no matter what service role and responsibility someone has here, I think it's my ear, frankly. Every time I wear these things, I think I get a funny ear on my right-hand side of my head or something. Let's get this right. Okay. That no matter what service role and responsibility someone here has, we must be routinely equipped by example, in handling the Gospels. Because why? Because we're soldiers first for Christ. That is what Jesus said. Go and make disciples. Give testimony. And I know that your church leaders are all in for equipping by example to know and share the Gospel. And we would love to help with that for sure. So, a church on mission, first and foremost, unifies in the Gospel. Next, a church on mission unifies in the gifts, the spiritual gifts. Now, this this is a whole seminar in itself that we actually offer but let's let's look at the doctrine and practice of spiritual gifts through just just a smidge of scripture here in first corinthians just going to read a bunch just let these wash over you first in chapter one verses four to eight we read it paul starts with i give thanks to my god always for you because of the grace of god That was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. In chapter 12 he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greek slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no... Division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Doctrinally, we know that the Holy Spirit, these spiritual gifts, are given by God for his goal of advancing his kingdom. How does he do that? Through edifying the saints and spreading his gospel Together and practically, wow, I love this. God gives this beautiful diversity of gifts to unify and to multiply His church for His mission. This is why it's imperative that every Christian, every Christian individually knows and shares their spiritual gifts in gospel partnership. Together. Now it's a little known fact. Maybe you know this, there are about fifty-nine one another's in the New Testament. And after years serving as, as a pastor and an evangelist in the church, in the church, I've come to the shocking conclusion, I want to remember that word shocking conclusion, that we love and serve one another primarily according to our God given spiritual gifts. Now, why do I say that that conclusion is shocking? Because it's been my experience that many Christians do seem uninformed about their spiritual gifts. They don't know their own. And they certainly don't know those of others. But listen to what Paul says again here. He says we're all one body with many gifts given by God to care for one another, suffer together, rejoice together together, all on mission, together. Now, by and large, does that sound like the church today? Wow, we have got ourselves in a bit of a situation in the church today. You know, to me, Paul's words sound a lot like what you might call the, the prophetic fulfillment of Christ's words for his church, where he actually prayed this in John chapter 17. Remember the high priestly prayer, an amazing prayer. He says this, Father, I do not ask for these disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me. That's us. That's pretty neat. That's us, the church, that they, we, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, In us, the church united as one. Why? So that, here's why, the world may believe that you sent me. This is why, this is why unity in the church reflects for each other, reflects for the world such a beautiful picture of King Jesus. But, but it's also why disunity. And division in the church reflects for each other and really reflects for the world such an ugly picture of Jesus and is just plain filthy. It's an offense to God the Father. But again, when we unify in the gospel according to our gifts, the beauty of Jesus is both heard and seen, first and foremost by God, it's in His sight, Scripture says, but by our spouses, but by our children, by each other, and then, and then by the world around us. You know, from the heart of a, of a pastor and a parent, I have kids myself, can I share with you why I personally believe that the vast majority of church kids are leaving the church never to return. There's a bunch of theories on this, a bunch of theories. I believe because the vast majority of churches are reflecting a filthy picture of Jesus Christ. And these younger ones, they, they smell hypocrisy, and when the soon, as soon as they're able, they scram. I sincerely hope that makes you as mad as it makes me. We want to glorify God. We want to worship God. We want our kids to worship God. We want the world to worship God. But if we're only coming to church and not serving the body of Christ according to our spiritual gifts, can I be honest, not only do I wonder what the heck we're doing, right? But positively speaking, I truly believe that if every saint, just picture this, just picture this, if every saint were equipped by example to know and share the gospel and the gifts together, I believe truly that most problems that plague the modern church would totally disappear. How how do we deal with consumers and spectators? Unify in the gospel and the gifts together. How how do we handle, you know, complainers and and sideliners? Unify in the gospel and the gifts together. How does Zoom church die the the quick and and merciful death it deserves? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Unify... In the gospel and the gifts together. How do we not only retain our kids, like reach for the stars, pastors, right? Retain our kids, there's still bench warmers in the front here. No! How do we train our children to faithfully and passionately follow the King into eternity? Unify in the gospel and the gifts together. Amen? So let me let me just sort of sort of sharpen and illustrate the second point in the context with the first. So, how has God designed the gospel and the gifts to go pun intended together? Well, hear this. If preaching the gospel is like how Jesus is heard, then I want to suggest a lot of the gifts when we practice the gifts, that's how Jesus is seen first inside the church as we love one another in worship of Christ, and then, and then outside the church as we love our neighbors together in witness of Christ. Now, within my military illustration, I'll kind of go back and forth to that. I'd say it this way We practice for war inside the church together, and we participate in war outside the church together. This is why we as church leaders must equip the saints by example, by example, to know and to share the gospel and the gifts together. But it was my experience, I'll just be honest, as a as a young Christian, I was saved late in life, 22, that a lot, a lot of Christians feel ill-equipped to know and to share their gifts in the context of God's mission. How does this look? I get the Sunday thing, but what about the mission of the church? And this is part of it for darn sure, but what does it look like? Well, I believe illustratively that, that many, if not most, in the modern church, they, they picture the mission more like this. Just picture this. There's this military warship, right? And it's, um, it's full of ministry professionals. Ministry professionals, you know, like, 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 um, like Joe and, and David, maybe missionary evangelists like me. And it's pulling off the dock, and here we are. We've got the, uh, the weapons strapped to our chest. We're waving. The heroes are going off to battle, while the, uh, the rest of the common Christians are left here at home. Remember the World War II motif? You can see the black and white film. And everyone's, you know, they're throwing flowers, and uh, maybe they're cutting checks, whatever they're doing. Nothing wrong with flowers and checks, but you get the picture. And the common Christians are left here at home. The church is basically left to pray and to give so that we, we can go, we can fight the good fight. I mean, a church on mission really only needs a faithful few, right? That's kind of how the the story goes. Well, let's look at God's account of his early church on mission, to see if the picture's any different. Now, I love on the Westminster website, you've got Acts chapter 2. I'm going to lean into Acts chapter 4, one of my favorite little glimpses historically of the early church. It says this, and ask yourself, is the picture of the worship I just explained to you any different than this? Now, the full number of those who believe, stop, that's everyone. That's everyone, right? We're of one heart and soul. That's unity. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. That is, that is generous giving of gifts. And with great power, who, whose power? Dunamis power? God's. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's the gospel. Front and center, that's the gospel. And God's great grace, what a beautiful, beautiful phrase. God's great grace was upon them all. Now church, let me ask you from the heart, do we need in our time and place God's great grace to rest on our families, on our church, on our community, on our country, on our world? That was certainly part of what Russ prayed from Psalm 103. We need God's Grace, you'd better believe it. Well, here's how I believe that that military picture needs to change if that's to happen, what we just read. First, we're all on the warship. That's the first sort of course correction. I know, I was going what? Wait a second. What do I do on that warship? We'll get to that. But as soldiers first, everyone on that warship, all y'all, as my American friends say, you're all on that warship. You're all equipped by example to handle your rifle that's the gospel. And and we all practice for war by actively loving and serving each other according to our God-given gifts in here or in small groups or covenant groups wherever. And we do that for the purpose for the purpose of participating in war by actively loving and serving our neighbors according to our God given gifts out there. Out there. So though you might not be, you might not be a, a, a sergeant like Joe or Pastor David, you might not be a, a sniper like me. That's a little bit much, but I remember the first time I met Pastor Joe and and he he asked me a few questions just making sure I wasn't flaky, I'm guessing. And he says, I see you too are an apologeti. I love that. I, I, I held on to that. So, apologeti. Call it what you want. You might not be those things, but you do have gifts that you need to use, and we need you to use together for God's glory on mission. So, a church on mission first unifies in the gospel, second unifies in the gifts, and third, a church on mission glorifies God together. The entire meaning of life and the mission of the church is to glorify God. That's no surprise. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Why, Paul? That they, that they, the lost, they may be saved. Paul's talking about our mission. Our mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples Together, but if we angle back in its broader context for the Corinthians, a church on mission unifies in the gospel and the gifts for the glory of God. You know, an evangelism mentor taught me that the church is a lot like the moon. Now, if you think about it, if you think about it, the moon's really like a ball of dirt that reflects sunlight to the world. And really, I mean, you you guys all look pretty cleaned up today, but let's be honest. Really, we're all just one big ball of sanctified filth, (laughs) reflecting sunlight, S-O-N, to the world, aren't we? We're cleansed. We're brought together by the blood of Christ. We're lifted high, Ephesians says, in heavenly places by the creator of the universe for the purpose of reflecting his glorious sunlight, again, S-O-N, light, to the world Together. Now, I've got a, a funny place in my heart for Superman. I don't mean like a Superman type of stuff here, but, uh, but I'd love for Westminster Chapel, I would love for uh, Crossroads Alliance where we worship to be like a super moon. You know this one? The clearest, um, uh, the brightest, the fullest moon is called a super moon. It'll wake you up at night. It's that bright. And when an entire church is on mission and fully unified in the gospel and in the gifts for the glory of God, we are like a super moon. Christ's voice is that much clearer. Christ's light is that much brighter. And God is that much more glorified. And that reflection, church, that reflection will wake people out of darkness into the light of the Spirit of God, guaranteed. Now, press pause. Does the world need to hear and see that type of light right now? I'm an evangelist. This is the greatest opportunity we've ever been given, and most churches are just putting it under a bushel. I don't get it. I don't get it. What an opportunity to shine the light. The world is messed up. Just coming in here, This sidebar, just coming in here this morning, and just the warm and friendly greeting and the worship and the... The picture of Jesus that was emerging as we made our way to our... I'm telling you, people are imaging God as image bearers. They're walking the streets of Toronto. You are in you are in the greatest mission field in the world. The most multicultural city in the world, I'm told, is Toronto. I'm kind of jealous. Can I, can I say that? What, a, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. But this is why... Church leaders must equip the saints by example to know and to share the gospel and the gifts for the purpose of glorifying God in battle together. You know, over the years, I've had the privilege of um, of recruiting and training all shapes and sizes of, of soldiers for battle, and so often the scene reminded me of the movie The Patriot. Older movie, I don't know if you've seen it. The Patriot is, is about a peaceful farmer named Benjamin Martin, played by Mel Gibson, and uh, he's driven to... Uh, to lead the colonial militia into battle during the American Revolution. And there are so many quotes in the movie that that could apply to church on mission. But where does Ben go to recruit soldiers? He goes to this seedy bar filled with all kinds of what I would affectionately call common characters. And as he he walks into the bar, his well-dressed assistant asks him, you're coming here to recruit for colonial militia? Did we come to the right place? And so to take the, the pulse on, on the passion in the room, Ben yells out, God save King George! <laughs> and as every single commoner stands to fight with guns and knives drawn and, and air you know things are flying and, and he narrowly escapes and, and he answers his assistant with, I think we came to the right place. So what they do, they set up this, this kind of makeshift recruiting table. They ask anyone and everyone to enlist. If, if they have, if they have common passion, hear this, and they're willing to be trained together. There's this one humbling point, this cute little boy, a little redheaded boy, he comes walking up, he might be five years old, and hear this. He's so inspired by the example of the men. Like, where are the men in the church right now? Sorry, sidebar. <laughs> he's, so ex- he's so inspired, he walks up to the table, and he's so inspired, he steps up with childlike faith, and he wants to join the battle. And he's kind of pushed aside. But, I mean, if I were recruiting soldiers for battle here and now, to take the pulse on the passion in this room, I might say, Caesar is Lord of the church. <laughs> right? Maybe. I'd get a, I promise I would get a passionate reaction, and that's good. But, but in this cosmic battle for the souls of men, women, and children, hear this, passion is only productive if tempered with a humble, teachable, trainable spirit, <laughs> which I, I really hope that you all have. I, I want to close with just one testimony of the glory of God heard and seen from a church on mission. It was a few years ago um, for Canada Day. What a, what a wonderful opportunity to reach out. I'd equipped another GO team. This is a gospel outreach team from our home church just to go and to connect with our community, to share the gospel and, and the gifts together for God's glory. And it was there we met Doug. Doug, precious Doug. Doug uh, first experienced the words of Christ from a team member burdened and gifted to, to really open this heart and Bible and share the, the gospel with him. And it was right away Doug confided in us that he was in need of a kidney or He'd die. So then Doug experienced the ministry of Christ from another Go team member who was really gifted and burdened to pray for Doug. And they, that person, we passed the baton, they led us to, to pray around him with his mom, with Doug's mom was there. Then Doug received a gift Bible. He began reading the Bible, praise God. And uh, as another Go Team member gifted in hospitality, they personally hosted Doug. Got to be honest, first at a coffee shop for a number of months. The church, everyone understand, the church is a long walk for your neighbors. It's a long walk. And so, out in the community, meeting in coffee shops, Starbucks, and, and eventually in his home, and then after a number of months, it was a long time, Doug chose Spirit of God at work, drawing, to come to church. And as you can hopefully imagine, after experiencing a small group, kind of a, a quarter moon slice of Christ and his gospel through those gifts being used together, and then experiencing the bigger, the fuller moon reflection of Christ, literally brought Doug To his knees because, because after hearing and seeing Jesus like this, the gospel made sense. God added daily to the number of those being saved. Of course he did. He's well pleased when we preach the gospel of his son that way. Brought to his knees. So on a very special Sunday, Doug was invited by our elders to stand before our church and testify. Now Pastors will say amen to this, uh, open mic plus new Christian equals scary, okay? I said that out loud, it was like, oh man, what is Doug going to say? But as he shared about how he encountered Christ, that's what he said through the ministry of our Go team, through tears, he ended with this statement. Hear this, I didn't come and find a church, my church came and found me. That is how the Spirit of God moved on the heart of just one sinner when a church on mission went into battle together and unified in the gospel and the gifts for the glory of God. I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Well, Father God, thank you, Lord, for our unity in your Son and in his gospel. Father God, I would pray that by your grace and for your glory, Lord, that you would move on the hearts of your people here at Westminster Chapel, and that by your spirit, Lord, you would, you would stir God, you would steer the passion that's here to, to supernaturally empower your saints to work together as one body with many members, many gifts, all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.